welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is a Saturday morning special, show number 190. Happy to be live here on Facebook, proud member of the Education Podcast Network, Voice Ed Radio Canada, and now an ambassador for the World Education Summit. That is our topic today. That is our goal today. And uh, we are going to discuss all things World Education Summit. So pumped to be on here. Show number 190. Good morning to you. And if you're watching in the UK, good afternoon. Um, we are going to meet Stephen Cox today. Uh, he is the CEO and the founder. Stephen, I hope I'm saying it right. Osiris Educational which is a global educational company. And they started the World Education Summit. Um, the one here in 2022 is coming up here in March. Uh, and I am excited to be part of it. I'm excited to help promote it. And I'm excited to kind of get it into our active principals, our active educators here in the States. Um, so we are going to get rolling with that. Um, again, show number 190. Today's topic, again, the World Education Summit. But I want to talk a little bit about impact, right? As a school leader in my community, uh, with my students, my staff, I want to have an impact on their lives, right? I want to make their day-to-day -day experiences fantastic. But now, I've, as I've been doing this a little bit longer, right? Now I'm reaching out to other principals. Now I'm touching the, the hearts and minds of other educators out from me. And now we have an opportunity globally Right. Stephen and his team uh, have put together this massive um, World Education Summit. We can reach globally through the computer. Uh, it's an amazing uh, opportunity. I'm just going to give a little preview here uh, before we meet Stephen. I'm going to share my screen here. Um, I haven't done this here on Education, Leadership and Beyond, but let's give it a shot. And uh, here we go. The idea behind the World Education Summit is to put learning central to the purpose and the processes we use in schools. We're looking at how we can support individuals, teachers, leaders, schools and groups of schools or countries. So what we've done is to go right around the world so no matter where you are, you'll be in touch with the best professors, the latest research, the top thought leaders and what's moving and what's changing in education. And we've had feedback from our first West. We want to improve. So we're looking at a training stage. The passionate practitioners bring some of the world's experts in training teachers. And we'll be looking at themes over the four days from digital learning to making learning visible, teaching strategies, and then we'll also be looking at the social and emotional side of how you develop great learners. So it's not just bringing the learners learning first, it's bringing your learning right into the centre of the World Education Summit. And I think, yeah, I've stopped sharing here. Let's bring the CEO in here. Let's bring uh, Stephen Cox in. Stephen, welcome to Education, Leadership and Beyond. Andrew, wonderful to meet you. And thank you for everyone who's viewing in at the moment or viewing in at a later date. It's uh, great to be here. 
Great to meet you. My daughter made me promise. She said, Dad, when you get around people that have a different accent than you, you like to take on their accent. So she made me promise I was not going to take on a, a British accent. I get accused of exactly the same thing, Andrew. So if you notice me going into a slight American lull, you'll know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, Steve, you can try the British accent. It'll be good fun. That's right. That'll be good fun, as you say. Um, excited to have you on. This is Stephen Cox. He is the founder uh, uh, and CEO of Stephen. Am I saying it right? Osiris Educational. Bang on! Yeah, absolutely. He's the Egyptian deity, the founder of civilization, according to the Egyptians. Anyway, so uh... well, and you're the founder of this. You are a major part of the World Education Summit. Stephen, tell me about this idea of this summit, and we watched that little preview. But tell us live what, what your hopes, what your goals are. Sure. So what we, we did, we were looking around. Obviously, COVID became a massive issue for schools, for teachers. I mean, how staff have got through it and leaders have got through it. I mean, if it's anything like in England, in, in the States, um, the dedication's just been amazing. And you know, a massive thanks to everyone who's engaged. But at the same time, what we've noticed is a huge disruption to learning and the learners and what's happening in their lives. And it's not been an even disruption. It's actually exaggerated equity. And the other interesting thing is we've been noticing is some students who really benefited from the routines and structures of schools that really struggled and uh, where, where learning is and where it can take them to. So on the one hand, we, you know, we, we've sort of been facing that and what could we do about it so we've been looking for a number of years and trying to run world education conferences but the problem is you've got to bring people in from all over the world and then you haven't got a representative audience you're just picking off a few people each time so what we thought was well here's a chance to make this a digital event and genuinely reach out to the world so last time i think we we got about 87 um countries involved which was kind of pretty good going and the diversity you can bring into conversations then becomes amazing but what we didn't realize is no one had really done this before there's things called world education summits or things like it but they tend to be dominated by one country so what we were trying to do was open up and say look number one we're going to keep politicians off the stage they have enough stages and they have their policy says but what we wanted to do was let the educators and the real kind of researchers the people who were leading the field lead those conversations because we're not learning necessarily off what's working in the world we're learning off what people say is working in the world and there's a real voice in there and so the part of the world education summit was to bring that voice together and really explore what does world class look like? You know, what can we each learn off each other? And it's amazing the diversity you can learn from. We kind of get trapped into these kind of views of what work learning is, what instruction is, and you know, and then the policy builds around it, the day-to-day -day nature of schools. So this this kind of cracks that open a little bit and opens some windows around the world, I think, and you know, gives people a nice view into what's happening. And one of the areas there was cool schools that we brought into it. So we said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get some of the coolest schools around the world and bring those and get them to show off what they're doing. And once you see inside those, you number one, you can see the similarities between schools and the, the structures and, you know, what we face day in, day out and something like learning and right at the centre of that comes true. Teaching is teaching throughout the world. It has different emphases and the building is the building. But then you can see what people do with this and how people respond to it. And that's where it gets really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. The lid. So many speakers, uh, so, such a grand thing. I like the stage idea and the different uh, different themes there. Uh, how did How did you go about from such a massive project to to selecting the people that you wanted to be part of it 
we're, we're kind of lucky because we've been uh, we've been going about 27 years now so we got i got a black book if you like of uh, all the the best names and you know kind of those sorts of contacts and Anne marie who's my co-creator she she we met up john hattie actually introduced us about four years ago and we got on very well and she seemed to know most of the people i didn't know so it was kind of really quite good because we could pull on all those people and then ask them for recommendations uh, but as an organisation, we're we're um, we're strange. We're a for-profit organisation operating in education. It's kind of quite frowned on in some ways. But on the other ways, it's allowed us to pursue one element of learn, which is learning, and put learning at the centre of what happens in schools for 27 years. So we haven't had to follow the foibles of uh, policy and changes of that. We've just been able to explore deeply into that. So by doing that, we've built really strong relationships with a lot of the leading professors around the world as well. And so therefore, we, we've got really strong fidelity to where the research is heading and what it's saying and how it can be interpreted in some ways. So massive quality assurance goes on. We interview everyone who gets a keynote in the uh, thing and most of the people who do presentations and make sure that, that you know, that not that they're on message, but they've got a depth to what they're saying and that it's got a transferability into other contexts. Absolutely. Um, when it's over, Stephen, we got we're March 21st to the 24th. What is it if I if I join as a principal here in the United States, what is it that you hope that I walk away with? So number one, with inspiration, that you know you, you you you've got some really strong starting points. There's ten key themes that run throughout the events. I'm not going to talk through them because it's it's not a good way of learning anyway. To do that, you can jump on the website and see those themes. But they cover the major ten themes that are running through education systems throughout the world. And then what we've got is debates going on within those. We've got the leading thinkers in those areas, the latest research in the areas, the latest authors in each of those areas. So you've got a full if you like there's your professional development for a year and what we do is then wrap it all up so it is there for a year for you and it is through those themes so you can access it all the year round so you've got about 450 hours worth of uh, cpd there to choose from and you can let all your staff go on to it you can do it yourself you can disseminate it as i say that all all the uh, interviews all the talks and everything are there and what we do is we put hosts on every single session. So the speakers will speak for half an hour. The hosts will come and really grill them. They are super hosts. They know their stuff uh, inside out. And what they're looking is, okay, what's the practical messages here? Because we've got to get it practical for people so they can implement and make those changes. So you're not just getting the fidelity and the research and the latest ideas. You're also getting the practice on how do we implement this? Yeah, and here's the website underneath. It's worldedsummit.com. You could register there. There's an early bird special. Is that correct, Stephen? Yeah, sure. That runs out uh, end of uh, January, January 30, uh, 31st January. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's that runs out then, and then prices go up by about 20% after that. So, yeah, get your tickets early. <laughs> we like it when people buy tickets early. Uh, but it's a great site. You have the, all the speakers, Nate. It's really well put together, the color schemes. And that's worldedsummit.com. And this this is a newer venture here, Stephen. We're, you're, this is your second one. But you, you've you been with Osiris. You founded Osiris in 1996. You mentioned you've been at it a little bit. Tell me about yeah. that, that journey and how you started that. Sure. So we, we were looking around and frustrated. I, I think some teachers go into education because they can replicate the good stuff that happened to them in education. Uh, for me, I found education a rather dull experience and kind of I felt there was a 
a lot of people left having not achieved an awful lot for 13, 14 years of work in education. Um, and I'll tell you a little story. My friend left. We, we get four final grade examinations. So my friend went to get his four final uh, grade education. <laughs> this is his summation at the age of 18. And the, the, <laughs> the grades he got were F. Oh, F, F. <laughs> that's it, isn't it? You know, you've done it. You spent 18 years studying. That's what they give you at the end of it. And you couldn't make it up, could you? You know, and he never knew anything about learning. No one explored him. They delivered a curriculum at him. And so we were kind of, you know, we know there's only five ways you can really improve education. The first one is access. If you haven't got access, you need access. Without access, we don't move anywhere. So we've got to get access. But that's not a real problem in most of the developing world. It is in a lot of countries. And we, we get into refugee camps during the uh, summit. The second area is behavior. And uh, behavior, we, we like to see behavior. It's seeable. We can observe it. However, we don't really understand it fully because it's so complex. But when they do the research on it, improving behavior rarely leads to improvement in grades unless it's so broken down it's problematic. But it, often it's the behavior that's problematic for us, not the learning element. And so it doesn't lead to an improvement in learning. The third area we can go for is curriculum. The governments love to go for curriculum and change the curriculum. Unfortunately, we can't find an example anywhere in the world where a curriculum change led to an improvement in learning which is quite frightening really isn't it? it's very distracting and for three years everyone runs around rearrange the, the deck chairs and stuff like this but but we don't see much improvement so the fourth area you can go for is teaching and improving the quality of teaching there's been a lot of efforts into this um and you, you, we know it there's a science behind it we've got programs that do that and lots of other people have and the effect size of that's about 0.4 or you know this is the growth it's about you know you're growing kids by 18 months in a 12-month period if you get that right. However, if you go to learning, which is the fifth way, the improvements around about 0.6 upwards. You can get anything up to a four-year improvement per year for children. So that word impact becomes absolutely crucial that you were mentioning there. What is the impact on the learners? And so a lot of the focus we do within the uh, event itself and in, in our work at Osiris is we spend about 95% of our time talking about teaching or behavior or <laughs> curriculum and about 5% talking about learning. So we're saying, come on, let's, let's pull this one round and let's have a look at this learning thing because that's more important. And in some ways it doesn't matter what we teach them because that will change over time according to the emphasis of how things are changing uh, in the wider world. But what they need to do is come out as learners because they need to develop skills later. They need to go to higher ed study and they need to understand themselves and what they're what they're about as a learner you can't teach someone to be a learner you've got to discover the way they're learning Stephen, you have tremendous energy tremendous passion you can hear it in your voice you can you know you're telling a story from your friend when he's 18 years old about how yep. he got f's after 18 years and how how that impacted the work you're doing now it's incredible well, that was it. I think in some ways, if you have that, yeah, I've got to change this. You know, you're in there with a mission. And if you've got a mission, you can keep pursuing it. So 27 years later, we still pursue it. What's been a pleasure is to meet all the people on the way who share elements in that journey. And this is where we, the World Education Summit allows them us to bring them onto the stage. 
And in next year's one, we're hoping to bring back people who, you know, are past and unfortunately they're the, the giants that we, we built this education system on and really understand what they were saying and how that's still relevant today and how that can move forward. And also the people around the periphery of education who are helping. And last year we had Sadhguru on who's uh, talk, talking from an Indian perspective about identity, though, and how identity is causing us an awful lot of problems in the system. We call it well-being or we call it uh, mental health. And that's the issue. But what they're saying is un underpinning this is problems around identity and self-labeling and system labeling so how do we tackle that you know and, and what are the well we know because we've got becky francis professor uh, leading professor from england who'll be talking all about that all the research behind it and why that's getting in the way of equity so really exciting to hear that and you can hear all the people who have had a great influence on you over this journey, just the way you're talking about and visual learning and John Haiti and some of the people that have touched your life. Tell me about your leadership style. You're the CEO, the founder here of Osiris. Tell me about yep. your leadership style. Ah, it's a good question, isn't it? I always feel it's best to find the strengths in people. I, I love the Drucker 101 when you go back to Peter Drucker. And he says, you know, everyone wants fantastic people who are motivated, who are skilled, who are dynamic, reliable, make good decisions, move forward. OK, so that's 10, 15, 20 percent of the population. In the meantime, you've got to work with everyone. And you know, they're not all as passionate. Other people have day jobs. So, you know, they, they treat a job as a day job or, you know, they've got careers, they've got hobbies and all these other things so we will find some people who are amazingly passionate and we'll go for it and it's, it's just a delight because you just get out of the way of those people and let them get on with what they need to get the other people you've got to find the strengths what can they do and do really well so we kind of try and mold osiris around the people rather than the people into osiris if that makes sense what a what an excellent answer right what an excellent answer sometimes the leaders we're trying to make people what we want them to be versus build on their strengths and what they had awesome answer well we're trying to often we're trying to come up with a vision or a dream and move it and yet we know <laughs> that these plans i mean take the battlefield we always love the kind of army analogies of it as soon as you get in the battlefield the plan's gone because you don't know what the other side's going to do and where they're going to be moving to so if you play into people's strengths at least you, you're starting to understand them and i think that represents itself into learning as well then straight away because you know for kids John, John Hattie, very influential on my, me and my thinking. Um, he said that most students have got one, two or three learning strategies. They're innate in them. They use them all the time. There's 450, so it's quite hard to bury down and find out which one, two or three that they're using. Now, the kids who've got three and they're able to move between them, they tend to do pretty well at school because if one strategy is not working, they've got another one to go to and then they've got another one to go to. And if that third one isn't working, you know, they're going to ask for help and stuff. It's the ones who've only got one strategy and it's quite a weak and undeveloped strategy. They're the ones who, you know, we've got to really work with. And how do we develop? Number one, how do we know that strategy? strategy yeah because that's the one they're going to use anyway it's no point us trying to teach them other strategies that will be their number one and how do we build then the robustness and the resilience that they need behind that to operate that mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of <laughs> well what's your strategy what's your leadership strategy what are some things that you do as a leader Stephen, to bring out the best in yourself to lead your company to lead this summit what are what are some things that you do uh, in the past or now? <laughs> uh, and now, uh, now? It changes over time, doesn't it? It becomes it becomes quite a dynamic in leadership in terms of what, what I would have done 20 years ago was I would have led from the front. I'd have been the man with the energy and, you know, 
you can hear there's still a passion in the voice Absolutely. but i'd go charging around the country and bring people with me you know i could you could do that one and that, that was really exciting but what i learned over time is look we're going to have to find the best people you know the people who really want to drive this and who've got a passion for education who can understand the challenges that teachers face can articulate in a way that teachers are going to understand and leaders school leaders can be able to relate to so a lot of it's finding the right people and just being quite ruthless on that until you've got those right people you know if you have to keep advertising advertising posts until you get the right people and that's really important and then as i say secondly it's just digging inside them what is it that makes them tick what are their strengths do they know themselves it's something my wife always said to me does that person know themselves or not and if I see a letter application coming in, it's got I, 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 I all the way down it, just go straight in the bin. It's like, no, this person doesn't know themselves. They're using eyes to substitute something that they're, they're really not sure about. So it's much, and so, yeah, that, that's the, the, the fundamentals of it. Find that, find what their strengths are, and then set them off in that direction and let them fulfill their dreams, if you can. You mentioned having the right people. Uh, you have an amazing lineup of speakers for this uh, uh, World Education Summit. Again, it's March 21st to the 24th. The website is below here, worldedsummit.com. Uh, Peter DeWitt, Axel Jackson, Liz Robinson, Ken Shelton, Tony Wagner, to name just a couple. But, but one of my favorites, he's my mentor. He's a, he's a great leader. He's an inspiration, as the word you use for me, is Todd Whitaker. You know, tell me some of the things you're excited about having Todd Whitaker as part of the uh, education summit here. For me, Todd, what Todd does is he reaches out into people. He understands people and where they're fundamentally coming from and then relates that back through to leadership. So you feel like there's a humanity in what the, the processes you're using. There's a fallibility in you, first of all. You know, it's, it's not a science of leadership. It's a movement around leadership and it's that flexibility that you can bring to it. And that's what I think, you know, a, a vision of great leaders. But also I think Todd's a wonderful communicator as well of those. He can tell a story that stays in your mind, which is, so important that you know it's okay to hear the research but how does this relate to me in my everyday life and that's one of the great things that Todd brings as well yeah amazing lineup of speakers really excited about it um but he's incredible like you said a story but he knows people he knows those behaviors um one of the things you wanted to touch on Stephen was the learning survey yeah, about. so we, so we've been, you know, we talk about learning a lot, and so we were trying to find where's the research on it, and we were working with some groups. There's eight CEOs in England. It's it's slightly different to other countries. Now we have a multi academy trusts, so these are groups of schools, maybe 50, 60 schools in a in a trust. So we brought eight leaders together, and we just unpicked and said look you know what's wrong with the system at the moment and is there anything we can do about it well we knew from the research and working with the likes of John Hattie that there's this thing called learning uh, what we didn't know was okay well how does children perceive of what's happening so we thought well let's pull this together in a survey and so we tested it out and tried to get through to the bottom and we pulled together a really good survey which actually tells you a lot about what's happening in learning in schools and we're going to talk a lot more about the findings i can give you some kind of sneaky peeks now if you want which is kind of really interesting so we had twenty nine thousand students participate in this survey um, across different countries as well so we we're able to compare it by country but it's so interesting when you get to learning it doesn't really matter what country you're in you have the similar perceptions of learning and what we've done is almost broken it down into four areas so we've looked at what i call the exo what do the students bring before they start the schooling 
Um, you know, what what difference does it make if English isn't the first language at school at home? And it does. It makes quite a big difference. What happens if you're a girl or a boy? You know, what is there a difference? And they do perceive education differently. Girls are harder on themselves than boys are, perceptionally, at least. We don't know about the, the other elements, but that comes through loud and clear. So that's the exo, what they're bringing to it. And we can't influence that so much. You know, we, we've got to take the bag there. So the next one comes into the kind of culture and climate, which really does concern the leaders in there. And the thing we can conclude from the survey is that leaders really do matter in this. Um, the top third of schools were making were twice the rating of the bottom third of schools. Wow. And this is on culture and climate. So this is stuff that we know about and leaders have known about for a while. And what we were seeing was a difference when you look down to it. Some have got it in the policy statements, but some have got it in the actions and in the enactment. And that's the difference. How do we move that from an, a, a policy statement on learning to an enactment of learning? And that's quite, and the kids can tell when it happens. <laughs> you know, it's quite, it makes a massive difference to their lives. So that was a good one. The third one we started looking at was looking into the, what I call the micro, what happens to an individual learner uh, caught up in these processes. So things like their expectations. And we know the pupils' expectation themselves is one of the biggest determinants um, of, in terms of their future success, whether they aim high, whether they're willing to stick at stuff, those sorts of areas. Now, what this is what I would call kind of the learner, the development of the learner. We're good at developing learning in schools as a whole. That's the subject knowledge and the, the uplift and we test it through exams. But how do we develop the learner in those bits in them? And unfortunately, this is the bit we're not very good at in schools. Over the elementary school, there's a slight increase. And once they get to high school, it just flatlines. It looks like the concentration just goes on to exams. So what we've built as a learner by the time we get to secondary is pretty much what they leave us, leave us as a learner. So we're not really getting into that work. Now, there was one fascinating area, which I'll, I'll call the learning incidents, which is kind of what happens when that spark of learning happens. And this is really kind of, you've got to get right into the micro bit. What causes learning? You know, what what's that dissidence in the brain that makes my brain want to close that bit? I don't know. And one of these is errors and mistakes. And it was the area we looked at. It gave the wildest results. And we couldn't kind of, we're scratching our heads for a bit. And suddenly we realized, you know, this is, the, this is absolutely key. Because if you you don't make an error or mistake you probably already knew it and it's already already built in your schemata inside your <laughs> inside your mind so you know you knew that bit but if you make an error or a mistake this is the bit where we kind of realize ah i probably didn't know that bit now what's my response there well for half the kids they feel like they're humiliated either by their peers or by their teachers so they avoid it and they try and avoid making mistakes using silence, using learnt strategies, distractions, all sorts of things that we see manifest themselves in behaviour. For half the kids, though, they treat it as an opportunity to learn and they want more feedback in that process. Mm. Well, half the kids succeed in our education systems, roughly, and half fail. And I think we could probably guessing. And I think, Carol, this is where Carol Stweck's work on the growth mindset probably came up. It's not a generic, let's make this a chant. It's a, when I reach my moment of maximum adversity, which is this when I made a mistake or error, can I then switch over to a growth mindset and say, look, what's the feedback I need to get? What's my learning point in it? And it's quite fascinating when you get into that. But that's half the kids are viewing it as a mistake or error, not as a first attempt in learning, but as a shut up, just go silent and don't engage. So quite, yeah, quite fascinating results. Amazing. And then they watching these singers or actors and they look at them like, wow, they're a great success. I want to be like this, this actor. Meanwhile, that guy has been failing for years until they eventually made it. But, but all they see is the success. 
Absolutely, 100%. And they, they just want to bypass that bit. I mean, the other bit that's coming out is around teaching assistance or um, learning support assistance. Now, we know the effect size is incredibly low here, 0 to 0 0.1. You know, you may as well not have them. Yet these are vulnerable kids who do need some support. And trying to understand, well, why are they not having any impact? And I think the reason they're not having any impact is they work on the, with the kids on programs and on content and developing the learning, but they don't develop them as learners because they haven't, you know, they, people don't understand learning strategies that are innate in people's minds and how to get them out there and how to hone those and polish those. And, you know, it, it may be that we're actually pushing at some of the wrong, wrong buttons in the whole education system. Well, it goes back to the story you told to your friend, F-O-F-F. They left him as a failure versus someone who needed more feedback and needed more experience. He left as a failure. Yeah, and that feedback can be pretty tough at times. People don't mind it. If you, you know, if it's accurate, it's given fairly. And the best thing is when the students ask for feedback. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the other areas we'll be looking at within the event, one of many, the whole area of feedback. We know a third of feedback has a negative effect. A third has no effect. And yet a third of it is one of the most powerful tools that we've got as a, as teachers. So how come? <laughs> you know, how come? All teachers think they're giving feedback, and they are. But unfortunately, in many cases, it comes across as judgment. And it comes across judgment as a power relationship because the teacher doesn't want feedback back off the learner. So therefore, the trust bond gets broken at that particular point and they just feel like it's criticism and therefore they don't act on it. The most important thing we know about feedback is, does the learner want to act on it and do they do they actually act on it? And that's getting right into that learning element again. Get, uh, having the teachers uh, do a survey from the kids, right? How are you? How are you absorbing this, right? How many teachers have never given a survey? It's it's shocking. It, it really is. Well, England's particularly bad. We know it's one in ten. Is that's all that's taking feedback off their students? Wow. wow. You know, and I'm, I wouldn't imagine it's that much more in the state. Well, I know the data is it's not much more in the states. I'm afraid. Good at giving praise, not so good at taking feedback. And it's tough, isn't it? You know, because if I'm a teacher in a class, these classes are tough. There's a lot of pressures on me and stuff like that. When have I got time to do that? And But I, I mean, I was fortunate in my career. I went to teach in Egypt and suddenly you you, you completely lose your, your cultural base. So therefore, it's much harder to connect with the students. So that's what I used to do is just get them to give me feedback. They would write a report on themselves because I wanted to know what they thought they were doing to get honestly. And then they'd write a report on me as to what I needed to do to improve. And we'd sit down and we'd have a 10 minute conversation with each of them, five minutes on them and five minutes on me about <laughs> how I needed to improve. And it took about 18 months, but oh, it was easy to hone. You know, you hone your practice so fast if you do those sorts of processes. Yeah. Yeah. They must have loved you. Uh, they were good. <laughs> yeah, we, we were at, well, they liked it because we were at, <laughs> I, I taught business and management, uh, business and organization at International Baccalaureate. So we had twice as many <laughs> kids on the course as any other course. And we were scoring a grade ha higher average than the average for the whole school. So, yeah, it, it works because it is just that trust relationship and building that one. Relational trust, fundamental, open to learning, fundamental to learning. Stephen, you got great energy. You mentioned some really powerful people, education leaders. John Haiti, Bill Rogers has amazing videos on your site. Your wife is a mentor for you. You mentioned her and uh, about do they know themselves. Uh, I'm married 20 years here. My wife's birthday is tomorrow. They're, they're oh, letting me be nice and quiet in the house here. Um, but tell me, how, how's, how's your wife been a, a mentor for you in this field of education? 
So she co-founded the company. Um, right. Unfortunately, due to illness, she dropped out about five years ago. But what she did was said, look, if we're going to do something, we've got to set the quality bar so high. Wow. <laughs> if it's not off here, you know, the government's giving away lots of free stuff. There's free stuff all over the place. And if we want to be able to charge for it, we're going to have to make sure it's the absolute highest quality. So what does that mean? That means it's got to be making an impact in the classroom or it's no good. So ruthlessly, we went through every presenter there was in UK at the time, we were over 3,000, interviewed them, <laughs> put them on stages, saw what they were, saw what the feedback was. I must have observed about 2,000 and given feedback to them to, you know, to work out, well, what's the difference between a good trainer or a good presenter or consultant and what, you know, what processes also are they using? What active ingredients have they got? Because we're dealing with adults here, teachers under a lot of pressure. Now, what teachers say they want and what leaders say they want and what they need are two slightly different things. So in some ways, you've got to merge them. <laughs> so some of it's tough feedback and some of it's stroking at the right time because they're doing a lot of stuff really, really well. And this is where you get, it gets quite fascinating. Even if you go into feedback, just take feedback because it could be any dimension here. It consists of many learning pivots. And so what we often see is that people have got, say, say, say feedback's got six learning pivots. People are doing three of those pivots. They're doing one kind of and they're missing two of them. And the whole <laughs> jigsaw starts to fall down. And this is where um, so many education initiatives have lost, unless you get all of them working at the right way. So you've got to stroke them on the ones that they're working on. You've got to kind of challenge them a little bit on the ones that they've got part working. And then you can open their eyes and beasts to the other ones. And then you've got to helicopter them and get them down and play. So it was finding people who are capable of doing that. You know, sharing best practice doesn't work. We know this dissemination doesn't work. It's nice and people feel a bit secure in it, but it doesn't change what happens in the classroom. You've got to get into all those learning pivots, get the ingredients moving and find people who are capable of that. And unfortunately, we found most professors weren't capable of that. They just they were brilliant at the research and they understood how to do research. stuff. They didn't understand how to translate that into classroom practice in a way that teachers could actually change the way they were teaching and leaders could change the way they're leading. So that's what we've been, you know, when we're looking at the quality and impact, that's the bit we've been doing. And that's the bit she's just really, really championed. I love it that, that she said that they raised the, the bar so high, right? Uh, that there's a high quality. Uh, great that, to hear you speak about your wife like that and, and, and to build this company together. Uh, and uh, amazing about the feedback, right? Uh, exactly what you said. I'm a, I'm a I'm practicing principal here in the States. Same exact thing. I could point out eight, nine things they did great in the classroom. They focus on the, the areas if I try... It, 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 it's like it's like I didn't even say that it goes right to the negative. It's around the whole coaching thing as well. Coaches become so vogue, and obviously we've got Peter there, and Peter's a good friend as well. And uh, there's a guy here in the, in the UK, Mike Hughes. He says 85% of coaching doesn't work. It either has a negative impact or no impact. It's only 15% of the time it works. And he, the question comes, well, why? And it is this human judgment, whether we're judging ourselves while we're being coached or whether the coach is judging us without realising it or we're perceiving it we just switch off there. It's that errors mistakes. You know, if you're going to talk to me about my errors and mistakes, you better warm me up nicely and establish that relationship and get the power relationship right. Don't try and squeeze it in five minutes and think you've done your job because I'm not going to be listening at that point. And this is where schools, it's quite difficult because schools are very transactional. They're very fast environments. Yeah. I, I love stand-up comedy, Stephen. I was a division one men's basketball official too. 
that's immediate feedback there, right? If I got a call mm -hmm. wrong as an official, I knew, right? And I wanted to get the next one right. If we look at it like a comedian, they, they know the feedback they know. is there. They have to go about and change uh, what they're doing to reach the audience better. You know, it's incredible. And, and he's a good friend of mine who's, who's speaking uh, again at the event. Uh, Mark Burns would say is we're building cathedrals and this is it. We get compared with health education, uh, health service so often. But health service is critical care. We're not. We're running marathons. We're building the blocks. We don't get to see the cathedral built at the end. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's that's our part. And it's quite hard to know, therefore, what, what the right bit is and what the wrong bit is. Unfortunately, too often we defaulted to uh, the way we were taught. And you know, all the research says that because it is bred into us and all the way we were parented as well. And it's how do you change that then and, you know, sort of become a different person, if you like, because that works for 70 percent of the kids. Usually it's the 30 percent it doesn't work for that then have all the ramifications and, and the problems for society later on. Well, you mentioned Dweck about having that growth mindset, right? What can I do better? What can I do differently? How can I improve? You got to look within. Uh, wow. Stephen. Uh, we, this is uh, 40 minutes went by like this, uh, whether you're on uh, England time or New York time here. Um, is there something that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share before we get to rapid fire? Um, I think that was a really good um, summary of what's happening. The World Education Summit, that's where we explore all these issues and take them much deeper and give you, you know, some of the, those elements in there. There's such, just such cool stuff like the Bjorks. When they talk about multiple choice, it changes your whole view of what multiple choice questions can be and how they can be used. And you suddenly realize we're not pre-assessing kids and we unpick all these sorts of things. So thank you very much anyway for uh, giving me the, the airtime on that one. I love it. Uh, the, the website is there, worldedsummit.com. Check it out. It is March 21st to the 24th. The early bird special ends here in January. Uh, Stephen, I'm definitely going to reach out about having you on again uh, and your partner, Anne-Marie. I know she's moving house, as you said today. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, but this has been a pleasure. Let's, let's end with rapid fire, Stephen. These are quick uh, questions, the, the, the quickest answer, okay? Here we go, then. <laughs> Are you ready? Last last book you read. Ah, the one I'm reading at the moment, The Dawn of Everything. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it looks at humanity and the way it's all developing. Um, schism, anyway, it's fascinating because you suddenly realize what we thought about the past isn't what the past was. It's quite different, and humans have developed very differently at different times. So we are developable again, which is good news for the whole planet, I think. All leaders are readers. Last movie you saw? Oh, the, the, the Gentleman. Favorite place it's to travel? The movie, quite good. Sorry. That's okay. Favorite place to travel? Um, I've got a place in Spain, so I go there quite a lot, but I just love anywhere in the world. And my favorite place for a road trip is the States. I just love a road trip in the States. My kids all love it as well. So Incredible. Uh, a journal or a blog that you subscribe to? I don't. You don't. You're, you're, you're not even there. No, I read a lot and I look into a lot. I, I used to, but I just stopped. I, I find it, it gets in the way of your thinking sometimes. So Interesting. Uh, your favorite stress reliever? Uh, meditation and Qigong. Qigong is, yeah, the ultimate. Yeah. And Ancient I love, Chinese. Uh, you mentioned about the uh, garden design too, building gardens. 
Yeah, I built quite a few gardens. I'm just on a huge, about three acre plot at the moment, which was, it's been a pasture for 2000 years and it's on a slope and we're just terracing it. I put an organic pool in and all sorts of things. I just love, love doing it, make it very idiosyncratic as well. So it's good, it's good fun. I need you a road. I need you a road trip to help with my garden. <laughs> I love gardens. They just my dad was a gardener. He was a head gardener, so I've always loved it. Love it. On at eight a.m. on Saturday morning, I feel fill in the blank. Oh, I feel elated. It's the weekend. I can enjoy with my kids, and you know, I feel like I can switch off a bit. So it's nice. Coffee or tea at that time? Uh, no. Well, I do green tea. I won't do caffeine. <laughs> oh, green has a bit of caffeine in. You got you have the energy, you don't need the caffeine. Uh, no. <laughs> best purchase, I normally say a hundred dollars, but I'm gonna say best purchase under a hundred pounds that has had a great impact on your life. Oh, good question. Um, it would probably be a record, and it would probably be the Sex Pistols, and I won't read out the title because it's, it's <laughs> it, it just grabbed at a time where i felt that where i was growing up in suburbia and stuff like that and it was a uh, it was all the kind of progressive rock so i just grabbed by the collar and said wake up you can change the world and it was yeah very exciting i love it uh who is your sporting team oh i support everton the football team in the premier league uh, we've, we've been there longer than anyone actually most most amount of years they're the they're the, the oldest of the team they are well the longest serving in the top flight they've only been out of the, the division for two seasons wow. in 120 years so wow why is soccer so popular in, in europe in england but not in the in the us uh, it's a working class game it came out of the uh, cohesion of the communities uh, at the time when it when they were being formed so it became the representation of the community Whereas in the States, they're trying to put it in later so it doesn't necessarily fit with the identity in the same way. It's a working class game in England. Yeah, that's where it came from. People wanted a fight and this was a way. Of, well, the early rules of soccer were somewhat different to the ones now. You just had to get the ball from one end to the other. It didn't matter how you did it and what got in the way. And it could be a whole village against a whole village. When American football comes to England, what do you think? I think, wow, it, I love American football when you watch the highlights, when you've got to watch the events. It's a lot of watching, but not a lot of action. Someone said there's only 15 minutes in the hour that they're actually active. And it's a four-hour watch. It's kind of... Load of whistle. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a lot. But I mean, those, those 15 minutes are fantastic. <laughs> Have you watched Ted Lasso? Did you see that? I don't know Ted Lasso, I'm afraid. No, he's not Not obviously made it over here. Apple TV, he's an American football coach that right. goes over there to coach a, uh, a European soccer team. Right, so I've got to watch Ted Lasso. Fantastic, sounds really good. Favorite New York or American kind of saying? Ah, New York or American saying, oh. <laughs> no, I can't say it. <laughs> well, I'm going to... I'll give you a New York saying. You can teach me and I'll teach you. Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> oh, New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, I was on a training session in <clears throat> with a guy from New Jersey and he said, self-esteem, forget about it. There's nothing happening. <laughs> he was talking about the research and he was actually right. But it was kind of quite a way. That's a scientific term in New Jersey. Forget about it. Forget about it. There you go. Thank you. What, what's your go-to exercise routine? 
Uh, it's a Qigong one called Heaven and Earth. It just moves all the energy in your body. You've got great energy. Stephen, uh, we have the website here. Is that the best spot to get in touch with you? If someone wants to learn more about it, would you say, is that the best place to go to? Oh, we start there. Yeah. And I'm just Stephen with a PH in there, as you can see. So just put Stephen at Osiris Educational if you want to chat with me. If you want to ch chat with the, uh, the guys, they're really great. They, they'll look after you. I see that the live chat box pops up on the website as well. There's a lot, a lot of a uh, lot there. So uh, yeah, and if people want to get involved with the World Education Summit, I think all the speaking slots have gone for this year. But there's all sorts of the cool schools. There's um, training stage. There's the research bites. There's the living books. All these can still do because they're on demand parts of it. So just get in touch. Let us know. And if you want lots of people to come, we do. We've got the whole of Wales coming. All the schools, all teachers in Wales come to the World Education Summit this year. Wow. So that's great. We've got a um, big one in the Balkans where I think we'll have about 20,000 teachers from the Balkans at it. So, yeah, just get in touch. We can do tickets at all sorts of arrangements just to get it right for whatever your organization is. Incredible. Stephen, you dropped so much knowledge. I've never taken so many notes uh, nah, on the show here. Uh, you want to leave us with a quote? You have a saying that you, you live by or you love? Yeah, the more you do of what you do, the more you get of what you've got. Ooh, and beautiful. you've got to keep moving on, keep reinventing. Pivot, I think that word's come out, hasn't it? Pivot and pivot again. And that's yeah. what we've got to do in education until we get it right. Well, tough, this, tough. This, this event is going to cause a pivot in, in, the, in the globe, in the world. And kudos to you for uh, kicking this off and taking on such a, a massive thing, as you would say. But it's going to be incredible. Yeah, it should be a really good one this time. Last time was just awesome. We were trying to make it so it's because we know it's a broadcast one. So the broadcast levels that we put into it are really, really high. It doesn't feel like a virtual conference because it isn't. It is a digital event. So that's cool. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. Yeah, this was Stephen Cox here uh, with a PH, as he said, on Education, Leadership and Beyond. Check out the World Education Summit. We're going to sign off here on show number 190. Stephen, it was a blast. Thank you. Good luck. Good luck, guys. Stay on the line a second. Here we go.